back to the beginning, the very beginning. Creation in the Garden of Eden and how God formed Adam out of dust, made him. He said, and then he took a deep breath and he breathed into Adam to give him life. He blew breath into his lungs to bring Adam to life. God shared a bit of himself with humanity. And our life comes from the breath of God. And so when we worship, we're bringing that back. We're sharing a bit of ourselves back to God, and God is sharing a bit of himself back with us. It's where worship starts. Norm talked about that worship is more than just a song. That there's more involved in worship than just singing. We can, we can worship in song. Sometimes we can sing and not worship. But sometimes we can worship without singing. Aaron talked about giving. How the act of giving is worship. That actually opening our wallet and putting money in the offering plate is an act of worship. Norm talked a couple of weeks ago about the power of corporate worship. And sometimes... I can worship by myself when I'm alone. I don't know if you're like that. I actually had a few experiences this winter. I uh, was out on the Red River on my skates as the sun came up in the morning. There by myself, all alone, feeling like, wow, this is God. I am here with God, and I worship there. Now you're saying, why were you on your skates at at sunrise on the Red River. Well, actually, I skated to work. So I'd get up in the morning, I'd, I'd get myself ready, I'd get, walk down to the river, put my skates on, and then I'd skate into work. But being there on the river all by myself, it was, an act, it was a spiritual act. I, was, I enjoyed being out there all by myself, talking to God as I, as I skated my way into, into my office. But, but more often, we worship corporately in a group with other people where we can hear other people responding to God. We can feel the power around us. We can share that experience. Corporate worship. When we think about corporate worship, we usually think about meeting in a body like this, a group of people that we worship together. And what I want to do today is help step back just a little bit to see that corporate worship is this, but corporate worship is bigger than that. Did you know we're late to worship today? The worship service that has been going on around the world started last night. When we were finishing supper, people in Australia and New Zealand got up, had their breakfast, had their tea, got ready for church. The pastor got to church early, probably looked over his sermon, checked his PowerPoint, The worship team got here, they tuned up, they warmed up, they went through some of their songs, a group of people gathered together and prayed. And then the body started coming together and worship started to happen. That would have been last night. And what I want to do today is walk you through what happened from last night, supper time in Winnipeg, to where we are now and what's going to happen the rest of the day today. Because our corporate worship is not just... 120 people here. Our corporate worship is millions and millions of people around the world doing this together. And I want you to get a feel for that today. I hope you've experienced some of that. hope you've experienced a little bit of that already. Our, sp- our singing in Spanish, 
our prayer in Portuguese. Muito obrigado, Senhor. Thank you for that. But here we are at Gateway South, one church in one space in Winnipeg, which is part of a corporate body. But we're part of something that's much bigger. And it's not just that we're part of a, an organization that's bigger. It's that we're part of something that happens around the world, and we get to be a part of that. The, the um, message, uh, the title for my message today is that God must love Sundays. Now, I had a PowerPoint that I started working on this week. I put some pictures in it. I put some verses in it. And sometime yesterday, I opened it up, and I couldn't find it. And I went through my various drives and things like that, and I never did find it. And I thought, you know what? I have more important things to do than try and fight, it, fight that and put it back. So you're going to have to imagine the PowerPoint this morning. As a friend of mine said, yes, no PowerPoint, no power, no point. So uh, hopefully that's not the case this morning. <clears throat> But we are part of something else. On a Sunday especially, we're part of something else. I don't know if you've traveled very much. Have you been to other places in the world? I know some of you have come from other places to come to Winnipeg. But I have had the privilege of doing some travel. I've been various places in the world. And I uh, brought a visual aid because I don't have a PowerPoint. (laughs) This is my uh, beach ball that has the globe on it. And I've been to various places. But in times when I travel, I think, you know what? I wonder what it's like for God to look at the world and think about it. I know we watch movies. Now you can imagine my PowerPoint. I have a picture of um, Matt Damon on Mars. We have movies of astronauts, people being in space. We have pictures of the Earth from space. And, uh, okay, when I started, I was a teacher a long time ago. I don't know if I should tell you how long ago, but back in the 80s, there was a movement to get a picture of the, the world, like a photograph of the world in every classroom in the world. Because the thinking was that if kids could see that, that would change how we view the world. There's no borders, there's no different nationalities, it's one globe. But I think I want to get you a little bit of that feel today, that we are part of something that's much bigger than the number of people that we have in here. Now I've had, well I work for the government of Canada, and uh, I've had the privilege of traveling around the world. Actually for almost 20 years I worked in departments for the government that were international departments. So I worked for the Canadian International Development Agency, which is a government department, and then uh, we became part of Global Affairs Canada, which is like foreign affairs, so I worked for them as well. And uh, they actually paid me to travel. I think I've been to about 35 countries in the world, and I've, uh, in most of those countries, I've gone to at least visit church buildings. Sometimes you go to visit, if you go to Europe, I don't know if people have traveled in Europe, but that's the standard tourist thing is go see our churches. And often you go and see a church and it's big and it's pretty, but there's nobody in it, or very few people. I actually went once to Westminster Abbey on a Sunday morning to go to church because I wanted to see the building, but I also wanted to participate in church. And when I got there, they had a guy outside and he said, are you coming for church or are you coming as a tourist? And they wouldn't let the tourists in until the service was over. 
So I thought, okay, that makes sense. So I said I was going to church, and he said, okay, go on in. And, uh, but I worship there. But I pro- I've, uh, places I go, I try and at least find a church if I'm around on a Sunday and participate in that worship. And I've been to big churches, and I've been to little churches. I've been to Pentecostal churches. I've been to Anglican churches. I've been to other evangelical churches. I actually went to church a few times in China, in Mandarin, a state-sponsored church, which has some parameters around it. I actually once went to a church in Fortaleza, Brazil. It was in Portuguese. I didn't understand the sermon at all. I, I knew the song. I knew some of the songs because they were songs that we sing, but they were in Portuguese. Um, I've been to uh, English-speaking church- churches in Africa, in Mozambique, in Tanzania, in Ghana, in Senegal. Um, I've been to a Swahili-speaking church. I don't know if anybody here speaks Swahili, but I, that was an experience. I'll tell you a little bit about more that, than that. I actually went to a church in Ghana where they did it in three languages. They had church in, uh, they did English. They did a, a language called Tri, which is kind of the trade language in Ghana. And then they did Ebe, which is a language that's kind of East Ghana, Togo, I think even into Nigeria, maybe some Ebe speakers, or at least people connected there. But the challenging thing about that church was they did it in three languages, so they did the church three times, essentially. So you sang, you sang in one language, you might sing in the next language, you might sing. The minister actually preached three times, once in English, once in Chui, and once in Ebe. That became a long service. I only went there about twice, and that was enough for that. Actually, lived in, I lived in Ghana for three years, and I lived in Tanzania for three years. So I did West Africa, and I did East Africa. And here as Gateway, we've got people that are all over the world. Now, if you look at the map on the back, there's pictures of people who are, who are sent out by Gateway to other countries. And if you look there, we've got a family called the Taylors that are in Mexico. We've got a couple of families that are in Romania. The Neufelds in the Stories. Um, the Greniers are in West Africa. I actually know some of the places that they are, and I know some of the people that they know. And I, when Roly and uh, Christina, thank you, were here in the summer, I talked to them a bit, just tried to make connections, because I lived in that, in that country. Um, we've got uh, Heidi Hagenlocker in, uh, in Nepal. We've got the Epps that are in Indonesia. We've got the Omaris who are in Ottawa, but reach out across the Middle East. But we have, oh, we have uh, Caleb Lowen, who's in India, or maybe finishing in India and on his way to England. We've sent um, Will and Elise Horner, went to York, England. But we've got branches spread out across the world as a church, as gateway. Part of the vision statement for our church is that gateway Church exists to spread a passion for the glory of God through Jesus Christ in every nation. It's written on our back wall back there. It actually says to every nation and every generation. I want to talk about the every nation part today. But these people who are, whose pictures are on the, on the wall back there have gone out as part of that vision to share the glory of God with every nation. Now, I don't want to go through our sermon today without making the point that John Micklefield started with the idea that God shared part of himself with us, and we can share part of ourselves with him as worship. But part of that, that understanding of worship is that we as humans broke that, that relationship. 
And it was God who reached down through his son to give us back that relationship, to reunite us, to allow us to share that back and forth, to really be involved in worship. And worship itself is not just us singing a song. Worship itself is part of that relationship that we have with God. And that relationship comes through Jesus Christ. So all those people that I talked about are already up this morning. They've already been up. They've gone to church. They've worshipped. Some of them have probably gone to bed by now. But they are part of this global song, this global choir that's singing, that we get to be a part of. A part of worshipping God. God is worshipped all the time. Did you know that? He is. Actually, in Revelation, now this is going to come up in my PowerPoint, um, Revelation chapter 4, if you want to turn to it, you can. I'm going to read you a couple passages here. Revelation 4, verses 6 to 8. It says, so this is John seeing a revelation of what's going on in heaven. And uh, I, don't, I have to admit, I don't understand all of Revelation. Some of it was what John saw then. Some of it was what John was seeing in the future. Some of it is in words that I can't quite comprehend, and a little bit of that comes out in here. But there are some key points that I want to point out in here. And this is uh, John, uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. It says, Before the throne, this is the throne that God sits on, Before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was flying like an eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Okay, that's part I can't picture. Having eyes all around, six wings, I don't understand exactly. But but what I do understand is this next part. It says, day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Those creatures are around God's throne 24-7, 24-7, day and night, all of the time, perpetually worshiping God. But not only those four creatures. He talks about 24 elders in the next verses. So starting in verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. They praise God for his glory, his power, his honor, his creative abilities. So God doesn't really need our worship. He's got a full-time, 24-7 worship team around his throne all of the time. So point one is that God is worshipped all the time, and that happens in heaven. But for some reason, God calls us to worship. He's invited us on earth to worship him as well. That's my point number two. God calls us to worship. And there's lots of verses that we could pull out of the Bible, right from early Old Testament. First Chronicles talks about, Ascribe to the Lord, glory to his name, bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. I'm going to look at Psalm 100. If you want to look there, probably lots of you know this one. It's a short psalm. 
Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. Oh, sorry. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. The psalmist calls us to worship. So for some reason, God, who sits on a throne and has a full-time worship team worshiping him, invites us to participate in worship as well. Now, some of you met my daughter back around New Year's. She was here with me. My whole family was here. But my daughter and I preached together. I don't know if you remember that. Some of you were here, I think. But she works in campus ministry at the University of Calgary. And she sent an email out this week. At the end of January, sort of late January, the Christian groups at the University of Calgary got together and they did a particular outreach. They called it the Relevant Outreach. And they, um, they set up booths around campus. They brought in some speakers who spoke and had various sessions, but they set up booths around campus where people could engage with Christians and Christians could engage with the university campus. And my daughter was at a booth. They called the uh, Grill a Christian. And... Uh, Knowing my daughter, it had food related to it. And the deal was that you could come to this booth, you could get a grilled cheese sandwich for the cost of asking a question about God or about faith or about something related to that. She said over the course of the week, they gave out 500 grilled cheese sandwiches. So 500 faith-related engagements with students for the cost of grilled cheese sandwiches. But she said uh, she said she felt warmly welcomed by the university the university in general, that people came and they had questions and they wanted to talk. She said lots of them just wanted the grilled cheese sandwich. But they came. I mean, university students, why not? But she, uh, she tells one story. And she says, one of my favorite conversations that I had was with a young man who came with a group of his friends. So you have to think about university-age students. So he's probably 18, 19, 20, something like that. He was warm and charming and dressed way cooler than I have ever been, she says. As I handed him a sandwich, without having to reach too far, he pulled this question out of his mind. If the universe is so big, why do you think God cares about the earth? So if the universe is so big, and if you look at the universe, the earth is actually a pretty small part of it. My daughter says, my main answer was, I have no idea. But I also shared how much I love looking at the stars because it makes me feel small in the best way. She said they had a short discussion and off he went on his way with his friends. But she encouraged them to keep asking questions, keep thinking about why would God be interested. But John Micklefield asked us that question when he spoke the first week about worship. He says, what are we on earth, what are we on earth for? And he said it's to worship. God made us, created the earth, put us on the earth, breathed his breath into humanity so that we would share that with him. And that story about Adam and Eve in the garden, it said that God came down in the cool evening to meet with Adam and Eve. That he came down to worship with them, to allow them to worship him. And he's inviting us to do that. After work on Friday this week, I went out 
with a couple of, well, actually probably half a dozen people that I work with, and we spent about an hour together after work. And later I got a text from one of my colleagues that said a few things, but one of them was, thanks for being someone I want to spend time with outside of work. My goodness, did that ever touch me? I thought, wow, this person cares about spending time with me, which is kind of nice. And then I thought, God has like that too. He would send us texts that say that. Thank you for being the kind of person that I want to spend time with. Okay, I want you to think about that. God is sending you a text, and it says, thank you. I'm looking at a bunch of you. Thank you for being the kind of person that I want to spend time with. God wants to spend time with us. Now, I said earlier that Sundays are something special from God's perspective. And on Sundays, something special happens. I talked about Australia and New Zealand. And as they get to church, they begin the first strokes of a global choir. And as they start, and church starts happening, especially on the east coast of Australia, so the sun's coming up this way. This is your uh, geography lesson for the day. The sun comes up, touches Australia, New Zealand. New Zealand's down here, touches Australia, New Zealand. They get going to church. When they're at church, the sun starts coming up in Japan. Japan's up here. People in Japan start getting up. They're having their tea. They're having their breakfast. They're getting ready to go to church. The pastor gets to church early. He goes over his sermon. He, he probably has a PowerPoint. He checks his PowerPoint. The worship team comes in, makes sure that the sound system works. They tune up. They run through some of their songs and get warmed up. There's probably a group of people that get together to pray. And then people start coming in and their worship starts. And you're going to say, wait a minute. Isn't Japan like Zen Buddhist or something like that? Are there churches in Japan? There are churches in Japan. I actually had a Japanese friend of mine say, you know, Japan has like 125 million people. Even if 1% of our population is Christian, that's still a lot of people. That's over a million people. There are Christians in Japan who get up and go to church. And as the Japanese and the Australians get rolling, sun keeps rising, it hits Korea, it hits China, it hits eastern Russia. It hits Indonesia, where the Eps are. Ever thought about Korean churches? Do you know about Korean churches? South Korean churches are incredible. They are huge. They are powerful. They have people who are probably up at midnight praying for that service before it gets going in the morning. There are, there are churches of thousands of people in South Korea. North Korea, under Kim Jong-un, is a different story. If there are, the believers that are in North Korea have to be very, very careful because you can't, it's not legal to go to church. But South Korea, people get up and go to church. And they go, they probably take their car, or they take the subway system, and they get to church. The pastor was there early. He was prepping his sermon. The worship team was there. There's a group of people that pray. And then they start coming. So now we've got, so we had the Australians, we've got the New Zealanders, we've got the Japanese, we've got Korea, we've got people in China. Churches in China? There are real churches in China. Lots and lots of them. There's the officially sanctioned churches in China where people go and there's Christians who go to those and they're Christian churches. But state-sponsored, states, the Communist Party puts the pastor in and tracks what he has to say because the Communist Party doesn't want people who are subversive and going against them. 
But there's also lots and lots of people who go to small churches, underground churches. They go one and two at a time, and they end up in somebody's apartment. And they, have wor- and they, ch- they worship together. They have church together. And even in those ones, my guess is that somebody gets there early, makes sure that he's got a sermon to, to preach. Somebody comes, tunes their guitar, gets ready to do a little worship singing. Somebody uh, gets together and prays ahead of time, and then people show up and start, start worshiping together. So now we've rolled across the Australia, we've Japan, Indonesia, some of China, Russia. We're rolling across, we're getting into Thailand, Laos, Cambodia. And then we get to India. And Indians start getting up. Now they don't drink coffee, they'll drink tea. They get up, they're having their breakfast, they're getting ready for church. Again, the question is, are there, are there Christians in India? Do you know that the Mennonite church in India is bigger than the Mennonite church all across the Americas put together? Do you know that? There are more Mennonites in India than there are across North America. Really. The Mennonites have been highly successful in their evangelism in India. Actually, the Congo as well. Congo Mennonite church is huge. But in India, people get up and they start going to church and pastors get there, they prepare their sermons, the worship team gets there, tunes up, there's people who are praying, people get together, they start singing, they start worshiping together. So now we've got people all across Asia that are building, the choir is starting to build, the noise is building, and God is sitting back watching this. He watched the sun come up in the east and he's listening to that choir across the world, rolling across in different languages. I went to church in Australia. I have a cousin there, and I went there to visit him. And it was a lot like a service here, except they speak Australian. And I, uh, but as you go across, it's, it's Australian, it's New Zealand, it's Japanese, it's Chinese, it's Mandarin, it's Cantonese. You've got Korean language. You've got now India. You've got Hindu. You've got or Hindi. You've got Urdu. Then you move across. You get into places like Pakistan and Afghanistan and Kazakhstan and Iran and Iraq. And you know what? There's believers there in all those countries. And they speak Pashtun or Dari or they speak Arabic or they speak Farsi. But they go to church. And somebody there at church, what happened? The pastor gets there. He's got a sermon prepared. He practices it a bit. The worship team gets together, tunes up a bit, makes sure they're together. People pray about that service. And then people come in and they start to worship together. So as the sun comes up and God is watching and listening to all these voices, singing and praising him, it rolls across we hit places like Moscow and St. Petersburg. We get into Turkey. We get into covered the Middle East. Places like Saudi Arabia and Yemen. There's Christians there. And then, and then the sun comes up in Africa. And you thought the sound was good before that? That crescendo starts to build. And there's cities in Africa where people get up. They might drink tea or coffee, depending. The Ethiopians would be drinking coffee. The Zimbabweans will be drinking tea. But people across there wake up in the morning, have their tea, get ready to go to church. If you live in an African city, you probably take public transit or you drive to church. If you live in a village somewhere, you probably walk to church. While you're there, the pastor got there early. He's prepared his sermon. There's a worship team that got ready, tuned up, practice some of their songs, people pray together, and then they gather together and they worship together. Now, I said I lived in Africa for a while. 
The last place I lived in Africa was in Tanzania. And I went to an international church. One of, the th- one of the things we said was, we need to go to a church that speaks English. So we went to an international church, and um, we met in a, it was like a banquet hall of a restaurant, which sometimes you came in and there'd been a wedding the night before or some party the night before, and you came in and there were still streamers hanging from the ceiling, and sometimes you had to air it out a little bit. But when I preached, and I did there, preached there a few times, I'm standing here and I look out, and there's windows along this wall, and outside those windows is the beach. The Indian Ocean is out there. And you could watch people out fishing, people out swimming. We did baptisms in the Indian Ocean. Indian Ocean is 27 degrees. <clears throat> yeah, it's a place that uh, was a nice place to have church. But, we, uh, but it was an international church. And actually, a couple of times in the time we were there, we asked people, how many countries do we represent here? Because you're in an African country, it's English-speaking we started tracking. And actually, one Sunday I counted and, we, and I went around. Like I said, okay, how many nationalities are covered here? We had 23. It was probably 80 to 100 people. But we had people from across Africa. There were Tanzanians, but there were South Africans. There were Zimbabweans. There were Malawians. There were Kenyans. Some people from West Africa. We had Europeans, Germans, and Dutch, and British. And we had a Russian couple. We had a couple from Iran. We had some people from South America. Spanish speakers, we had North Americans, we had like Americans, and we had Canadians. But we had 23 different nationalities represented one Sunday morning. What a feeling of a global church. You get to participate and sing with these people. And we all sang in English together, and we all worshiped together in English. But it was a, a taste of the global church. But we would pray for people, and so we'd stop, and we actually had a prayer session during the service, and we'd say, okay, can we pray for people? People would put up their hands. We prayed for the world. People would put their hands and say, you know what, my sister in Russia, could you pray for her? And somebody had a prayer for somebody in California, and somebody had a prayer for somebody in South Africa, and somebody was praying for somebody in Central America or South America. But we prayed for the world in our little church on the beach in Tanzania. I actually got one morning, one Sunday I had this immense privilege. I went to preach at a little church outside of the capital city of Tanzania. It was a Swahili-speaking church. And it was probably, it might have been as big, the building might have been as big as this side of the, the um, sanctuary, thank you. Maybe not that deep, it might have been shorter than that. There were about 40 people there. I met the pastor a couple of times and talked to him and he asked if I would come and speak. And I said, well, I don't speak Swahili. And he said, oh, that's okay, I'll translate for you. So I went. I don't know what they got out of it, but my goodness, did I get something out of this service. So they had a building, they had a tin roof, and the walls were about three feet high that were tin, and then from there the roof was open. There was a goat that was tied up outside there that was banging around that you could hear during the service. And birds would fly in and sit in the rafters and fly out again, and it was open. But they, they, had, a, they had a platform, but then the rest of the floor was dirt. And people came in and sat on benches, they had a choir. The choir director had a pair of sticks, like drumsticks, that he kept rhythm with. They didn't have any other instruments. They told me they did, and sometimes they turned on the electricity. But that cost money, and they didn't have a whole lot of money, so they usually didn't have electricity. But when they sang, God was listening. They sang in Swahili. I got to be part of that, and I was just... I mean, my sermon wasn't that... I mean, I hope they got something out of my sermon, but being there part of the, with part of, the, part of that 
that worship service with them. They sang in Swahili. They did what we do. They sang. They uh, did announcements. They had an offering. Actually, you'd be pleased with this. I mean, listen to your uh, sermon on, uh, on giving. They had two boxes at the front. One was for tithes and one was for offerings. They were separate. So you came, you brought your tithe. But, and I've been in a few African churches where you do this. Now, you think it's fun when we say, okay, we're going to take the offering, and people go, whoo! While there, you get up and you dance your way up to the front with your offering. And so music plays, and people start at the back, and they come up, and they dance. I was noticing, Daryl, this morning, you were dancing a bit this morning, waving your flag. Good job. And there were some kids over here. I mean, they would love that. But you did. You came up with your offering. You come up to the front, and you put your offering in whichever box it goes in, and they celebrated that they were giving their money to Jesus. And then they worked their way back, and then I got to preach. This church, they ran a youth program. They uh, did an outreach to widows and orphans. They supported them. We actually, the reason I got to meet this pastor was that the church I was in in Tanzania, we bought some sewing machines for him. And he was trying to set up a program to teach women how to sew so they could earn their own money. Because there were lots of single women, single moms in his congregation. And he was trying to find a way to help them. And so he was trying to figure out a way to, to do this. The challenge he had, though, was in a church building that had no walls, was where do you put your sewing machines so they don't disappear? So he kept them in his house, and then he'd pull them out when they did sewing classes, and then he'd go back and put them back in his house again. But, he, uh, but I got to participate in a service like that. And actually, I stayed in touch with this pastor for a while, and unfortunately, I changed phones enough after I got back to Canada that I lost his, uh, his cell number. But one Sunday, after I was back in Canada, I was living in Ottawa, and it was a Saturday. I got a text from him just asking how I was doing. So from Tanzania, he sent me a text to say, how are you? I'm thinking about you. You know, God bless you. And I texted him back because I was going to preach the next morning. I said, oh, Pastor Darius, I just want to let you know I'm preaching tomorrow in my church. The next morning when I got up, I had a text from him, and he said, oh, in our service this morning, we prayed for your church. The poor will inherit the kingdom of God. I I read the text to my church in Ottawa, and I said, okay, you have to understand who these people are. They prayed for us. But boy, I was in... God was there. God is there today. God, there are churches like that all across the world where they're small, they're poor, but they're there to worship God and really worship God because that's who they have to hang on to. That's where they're connected. Okay, back to my global, uh, my walk across the globe here. So we've got church, church services that have started in Africa. And there are places like Dar es Salaam and Addis Ababa and Durban and Lagos. And we move across Kinshasa and Lome, which are all cities in Africa. Lagos, Abuja, Accra. I lived in Ghana and Accra. That's where the Greniers are. People are there. About the time the sun comes there, it starts to roll across Europe as well. So you've got Ukrainians, you've got Greeks, you've got Italians who are going to church. You've got the French people in Barcelona and other places in Spain. In the UK, in Ireland. Debbie and I were in Ireland a couple years ago. We went to a church that had been having services since 800 A.D., I stood in there for a while and I thought, wow, talk about God's faithfulness. Like that's 1,200 years they've been having church services in that building. And what happened, I don't know if you know the history of Europe, for a while the Mongols or whoever overran most of Europe, 
And there had been Christianity there, and then that was pushed out, except in Ireland. It stayed in Ireland. And at some point, the Irish sent missionaries back into Europe to try and reconvert people back to Christianity. But, I mean, how long have we been in this building here? 12 years? 1,200 years they've been having church in that building. I just... So this building is 112. So the Anglicans were here 112 years ago and, and build and running a church. And if you go downstairs, you can feel that, especially if you get in under the... You get in where the boilers are. It feels like a dungeon down there. But you know what? That, but worship is rolling across the planet here. People are going to church, whatever their circumstances, however they get there. They get up in the morning, they have their breakfast... They get to go to church. The minister is there and is prepared for it. There's a worship team. People pray about it, and then they worship together. And as the, the echoes kind of start to fade across Europe, we start to move into the Americas. And it hits Brazil first. Fortaleza. It's probably the first one. Maybe Recife. And it starts moving across Brazil. And maybe in North America, it's Newfoundland. People start getting up and going to church and they start worshiping. And then that rolls across, and we move across Brazil, across South America. We do uh, Venezuela, Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina, Chile. People in Newfoundland and the Maritimes in Canada. And we move into the eastern states. People in Boston and New York get up and go to church. People across Quebec. Before I moved to here, my wife and I lived in Iqaluit, in Nunavut. If you were from there, you called it Iqaluit. We lived in Iqaluit. But we went to an Anglican church there. And this is where I really wish, wish I had a PowerPoint. Because we went to a church. It was a cathedral that was built like an igloo. If you Google it, you will find it. It's the Iqaluit Cathedral. It's built like an igloo. So it's a round building. You come in, and the, the, the sanctuary is round. It was an Anglican church, but a very evangelical Anglican church. So we had to do the Anglican way of doing church. We kneeled down, we got up, we recited the Lord's Prayer, we recited the Apostles' Creed, we read a series of, of um, Old Testament, New Testament, Gospel readings, but it was a hugely evangelical church. They cared deeply about reaching people who were lost. But the interesting thing for me was that all across Nunavut, there are Anglican churches that are run by Inuit people in Inuktitut, that are worshiping God all across. So in places like Pangnertung and Santa Kilowak and Grisfjord and Arctic Cove, there are Anglican churches who are reaching out, worshiping God, and they're actually fighting back with the rest of the Anglican church across Canada because of the direction that's going. They're saying, no, no, that's not right. We shouldn't be going that direction. They're much more evangelical. But there's people all across the north that are going to church. And then we start rolling across Ontario, we move into Central America, places like um, El Salvador and Honduras and Costa Rica. We've moved across Cuba and Haiti. People in Haiti go to church in droves. Did you know that? And actually, you know what? As things quiet down from the European churches, the African churches are still going. <laughs> A good service in Accra or Lagos is, what, four hours long at least. So that, that continues to echo. But it comes across here, and you know what? People in Winnipeg start getting out of bed. They get up, they have their coffee, they have their breakfast, they get ready to go to church. Aaron and Norm get here, 
They make sure their PowerPoint is working. They make sure their sermon is good. <laughs> Amber and her worship team come and they warm up. There's a prayer team that meets in that room back there and they pray together because we're about to join that chorus that's been going for the last 15 hours that started way back on this side of the world and just keeps rippling across the world. Keeps coming, keeps coming. We get to, we're late in the game, but it keeps coming. If you were up this morning at 2 to change your clocks, you could have heard some of that that was happening back here. And when you got up this morning, maybe you heard some of what was happening over in this part of the world. And then we get to worship. We've been part of that. We've been singing. We did a little bit in Spanish. We did a little bit in Portuguese. But we got a little bit of feel of this global, this global church, this global worship service that's going on. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to keep rolling. It's going to roll across the rest of the U.S., across Mexico, across Western Canada, places like uh, Tucson, Arizona, and Las Vegas, and Saskatoon and Prince George, people are going to go to worship. They're going to join in that chorus. We're going to go across Vancouver, and then we're going to roll out across, across Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska, and across Alaska. Some of the Hawaiian islands get to kind of finish off as the day finishes and it quiets down. And it'll be a week before it starts again. But I think God must love Sundays. Because there are millions of people across the world who get up and corporately worship Sing praise to him. Do that connection that he breathed into us that we can reach back and touch back to him. And he, he waits for that. He listens for that. He wants us to worship. He's got a whole band of people who worship him, of creatures who worship him in heaven, but he wants us to worship. I talked about our, uh, our vision statement. Gateway exists to spread a passion for the glory of God through Jesus Christ to every nation and every generation. But you know what? Part of that is us bringing the nations into our church. This church has been praying for that for a long time. I don't want to pick on too many people here, but we have people from various countries here who participate in our worship. We've got Nigerians. We've got Colombians. We've got Brazilians. We've got Mexicans. Um, Our friend Frank is actually from Long Plain First Nation, which is a Soto nation just outside of Winnipeg. You know, we're meeting here on First Nation land, right? This is Treaty 1 territory. It's also the homeland of the Métis. If you go to a hockey game, you hear that every time. But it's true. People lived here. And we've reached out to touch some of those people and are pulling them in. We've found ways of reaching out and inviting the nations in. Downstairs, there's an English as an additional language class going on. I went down there this morning and chatted with people because I helped there some, of the, some days. We've got people from Japan... Korea, China, Pakistan, Russia, Ukraine. There's a guy from Mexico who comes some of the time. Uh, There's a Somali woman. There's probably another one. So there's at least eight or nine nationalities that come into our church. Some of their kids go to Sunday school. We've got some Muslim kids that go to our Sunday school. Do you know that? But it's a ministry that um, Christopher and Caroline got started, and we're bringing the nations in. And right now, We're teaching them, we're helping them with their English. A couple of those people have come into the service and come to church. More of them have come to potlucks when we've had a potluck. But it's a way of reaching out and serving them, providing them. If you look around our congregation, there's other people here who are doing things, reaching out. Um, The Chai Immigrant Center, which helps people learn English and kind of settle into into, um, into Canadian life. I went on their website yesterday and I found a picture of Ruth. Ruth goes and works there. There's people who reach out and are touching people in other, in other nations right here in Winnipeg. 
We're part of something that's much bigger than what we are. And part of our job is to send people out, but part of our job is to reach the people that are around us and bring them in. And to be able to touch them and help them. And whether they're First Nation, whether they're from some other country, whether they speak English or speak some other language, part of our job is to do that. Now I want to leave you with a couple of passages out of Revelation at the end, before I finish. Maybe I'll ask the worship team to come up while I do this. Revelation chapter 5. Partly I just want you to hear the numbers here. Revelation 5, 11 to 14 says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands. 10,000 times 10,000. Where's Leaf? What's 10,000 times 10,000? You work on that. (laughs) They encircled the throne and the living creatures. So this is the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang, "Worthy, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. 100 million. 100 million angels are standing around singing to God. And you know what? That's just the warm-up band. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and glory and honor and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures and the elders fell down and said, Amen. And then flipping over to Revelation 19, we get to be part of that. Not the warm-up band, but the the millions and millions of people. And then in Revelation 19, verse 1 says, After this I heard the multitude that sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And then down in 19, verse 6, it says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. That just gets me excited. When I think about God listening to those millions of people singing, Lord, the Lord God Almighty reigns. We give him power and honor and glory. We praise him for his creative abilities. We get to touch a little bit of what he breathed into us and we get to share a little bit of that back with him.